Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. What up? It's the Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasting from beautiful sunny Southern California. I know a lot of you are listening to us throughout the country, frankly, throughout the world. Uh, but um, Jason Stewart, how would you describe today's weather, if you would? Uh, gorgeous. It's, you know, it's, there's a breeze, which I love, but it's bright and sunny <laughs> on my end of town anyway. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a breeze. It is 65 on its way Super Bowl week to being 80 degrees. Oh, is it spectacular. So come out and see us, if you will. Uh, we got a lot to get to next week. Of course, we're going to be broadcasting live from the L.A. Convention Center, which I believe is Radio Row. That's right next to L.A. Live. And we will have football guy after football guy, star after star. And we'll probably, I would guess, we'll probably still on some level be talking about the story of the day, which continues to evolve a little bit. The Doug Gottlieb Show is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Check out the latest lines for World of Sports at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. You must be 21, present in Colorado, Indiana, Illinois, and Pennsylvania to play a gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. All right, so this broke yesterday during the show. Okay, during the show yesterday, this broke where Brian Flores is suing the National Football League. There's a lot of layers to this thing. And I, and I continue to believe that the kind of salacious layer which gets everybody's attention probably has the least resonance in terms of actual lawsuit and the league, um, even, if, even if it's interesting. But that's the part that seems to intrigue the media and maybe many of the masses. I'm, I'm not sure. So Brian Flores, after the lawsuit yesterday, now he's come out and he's doing a, me- a media tour. And we've seen him... On CBS this morning with uh, a former NFL player, Nate Burleson, of course, is one of the hosts now. Seen him on Get Up on ESPN. All right, so here's uh, Brian Flores on CBS this morning talking about uh, how he felt during this interview cycle. It was a range of emotions, humiliation, uh, disbelief, um, anger. Now, I've worked so hard to get to, to where I am from a, uh, in football to become a head coach. Put 18 years in, in this league, and it was... Uh, to go on what was going to be a what felt like or what was a sham interview, I was uh, I was hurt. So he's talking about the New York Giants interview, and he is hurt by it. Uh, here's Flores talking about taking a stand and what he feels like is making a sacrifice. I absolutely want to coach in this league, but I also know that I'm not the only story here. You know, there are people who have come before me, and and and, and I know there are others who who have a, who have similar stories, and it's hard to speak out. It is. You know, you're giving up. You're making some sacrifices. But this is, again, this is bigger than football. This is bigger than coaching. All right. Flores talked about the reason he filed this lawsuit. We didn't have to file a lawsuit for, for the world to know that there's a problem from a, from a hiring standpoint in regards to minority coaches in the National Football League. The numbers speak for themselves. Uh, we filed the lawsuit so that we could create some change. And that's important to me. I think we're at a fork in the road right now. 
You know, we're either going to keep it the way it is mm -hmm. or we're going to go in another direction and actually make some real change where we're actually changing the hearts and minds of those who make decisions to hire head coaches, executives, et cetera. Um, okay. Can, can, we, can we have a real discussion about this? Uh, one of the big pushes, and rightfully so, has been about hiring African-American general managers. The Vikings have... The, Cowboy, the, the, the Bears already have. Okay, Bears are a historic organization, and they hired Ryan Poles, who played for them for a short period of time, comes from the Kansas City Chiefs. So I, 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 I completely understand if you look at it. Here's, here's what it's like. And what I want to do is I want to have kind of a little bit of open discussion. I don't actually think there's a ton of merit in terms of legal merit to what he's saying. I, I just don't. And, and we can kind of go through, right? We, we can kind of, like the idea that, well, it was a sham interview, like, uh, okay. Like maybe they decided on Brian Dable previously, and maybe they violated the spirit of the Rooney rule. But the fact is that, look, GMs have the right to choose who they want to choose, right? I mean, look, Ryan Poles, took the, the Bears job. He hired Brian Ever Everflus from the Indianapolis Colts. Okay? He, whoever he interviewed, that was his choice. It may have been his choice before he got it. There's always going to be jobs in the real world where you go and you interview for a job and they tell you, like, yeah, you're not getting that job. Okay? But the, the idea that I mean, he, he goes after the Denver Broncos for looking disheveled and looking like they were hungover. And the Broncos, of course, fired back with the, hey, we got all the notes. It was an interview that started at 8 and ended at 1. <laughs> it was long. By the way, like it should be pointed out, the Broncos were looking for a new coach after having an African-American head coach. Vance Joseph was their head coach for two years. They, they, they let him go. It's very hard. It doesn't mean that what he's saying doesn't have some merit. I'm not saying that what he's saying, that there needs to be a greater balance. No one's ever said that. But trying to say that it's racism and racial discriminatory practice and that each of these things he's pointing out is, in fact, racism, in the court of law, really hard to prove. And the change that I think you'll see is, do I think you'll see more black coaches? Of course you will. One of the one of the things that like no one does, and I'll do it for you right now, they'll point out, hey, the Pac-12 in basketball doesn't have any black coaches, and it looks on on optics it looks bad, right? But it should be pointed out that Arizona State prior prior previous to Bobby Hurley and Herb Sendick, I believe they had three black head coaches. Don Newman was the interim head coach, uh, in addition to uh, having having two black coaches besides that. Um, Ernie Kent was the last head coach at Oregon before Dana Altman. And then he was the last head coach at Washington State before Kyle Smith. Right? Lorenzo Romar was the head coach at Washington before being let go for uh, Mike Hopkins taking over. You know, Cal's last head coach was, was black. Uh, Stanford's last head coach was black. USC's, they've had several black head coaches, including Henry Bibby and George Raveling. Right. So uh, Colorado, um, Ricardo Patton was the last, I believe he's the last head coach 
before the current head coach. So it's like you're you're going through this, and and again on paper those things look bad, but the reality is that we have had a great influx at times of black head coaches in college basketball, Pac-12, I was using specifically, and in the National Football League. We're just in a current cycle in which there hasn't been enough hires made. And claiming racism is, it's one of those things, it's such a strong claim, and it's really hard to push back against. It's just as hard to disprove as it is to prove. I don't even think that's the smoking gun in this. I don't think he has a ton of legitimacy. Does that mean that there haven't been, I'm not going to argue that there haven't been interviews that have only been conducted to satisfy the Rooney rule? Of course. Of course. And that's not the spirit of the rule. The spirit of the rule is to create inroads for somebody who isn't normally considered, hasn't had a longstanding relationship. And if you remember, go back to last year, this time, or a year and a half, uh, two years ago, really, this time, there was a push for draft picks to be rewarded based upon who was elevated and and who, who you hired in the front office or as head coach, and there was major pushback against it. So it's not that people don't realize that there needs to be more faces of color on the sidelines. It's just the idea of, wait, you have the NFL trying to push for different ways in which to create, for lack of a better word, affirmative action. And Brian Flores is sitting there going like, hey, the only reason all this stuff happened to me is because I'm black. That, like, here's the problem. Your GM, your assistant GM, your director, player personnel, they're all black in, in Miami. And it was you against them. H- help me out. Okay. Brian Flores feels like the scorned coach who wants to burn everything to the ground. And then on one hand, he's like, I'd still like to coach again. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because if he's, it it does feel like a little bit of a no win. If the Saints hire him instead of Dennis Allen. The Saints hire him instead of Dennis Allen. You know, like we just, then... Is the narrative he got the job so he'd stop suing the NFL? <laughs> right? I mean, like, look, it was Brian Dable not qualified for the job. Y- you tell me. In order to save the New York Giants, right? Or to save the New York Giants, uh, their new general manager comes from Buffalo, where they've seen Josh Allen take leaps and bounds and become one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL. And the man who gets a ton of credit for it is Brian Dable. And to save the New York Giants, they need, to, they need, they need Danny Dimes to be Danny Dimes. It doesn't make sense. And, and I'm not, and if your interview was a sham interview, can the same be said of Leslie Frazier of the Buffalo Bills, who was also interviewed? Can the same be said for Dan Quinn, who was also interviewed? Right? Like, those claims, though voracious, though they, they grab headlines, do they really have merit in the court of law, or do they really stand up when you actually stop and take a breath and look at it? Right? I, I, I know what happens when I say these things is somebody who agrees with Brian Flores, who doesn't really know the biz, says, you're a racist and you're wrong. I'm not, and I'm not wrong. Again, it doesn't mean that there haven't been hires that make you scratch your head. 
fires when Brian Flores was, was fired. That was a stunner to me. Hey, but then you start to talk to people and you start to get, you're like, oh, there was a huge rift there. But I, I find this, to, I, think, I think the smoking gun is under the tanking thing. Which, by the way, is it, is it really a surprise? The hard part with the tanking is, even if you knew it was going to happen, was there actually an offer? Is there a text? Is there an email? Is there a voice message? Was it a joke? I don't know. But I think the claims of racism and racial discrimination, those ones to me, though, though there needs to be an evening of the playing field, I, I, I think they're claims that don't seem to have legal merit. And they come across, especially in this suit, which is supposed to be about racial discrimination. Then you go and look at what he's making claims about the Miami Dolphins, and you're like, that has nothing to do with his race. That just has to do with how he felt, how he was made to feel. Or just being mad about being fired. Byer, what do you think? When you, now, now that you've heard... You read this happened mid-show yesterday. It was really hard, right? Like when these things come out mid-show, it's really, really hard. What do you think? Well, I, I think that the the reason for the lawsuit is is what you said, and I believe it's it's what you said of bringing more out than what we know. I know that we can. Uh, I, I don't want to say cherry pick certain things of saying this or that, but I, I do think that it's an issue, and I do think that Brian Flores felt that this was maybe the best way to address the issue because the Rooney Rule, again, and I said this yesterday, its intent was was great at the beginning, but now it just seems like there's this way around around doing it, and every team can always say, "Well, we had our guy in mind," but. Is you know are you really then vetting your best candidates if you're always just choosing, you know the guy that you had in mind? Is that really casting the net? Is that allowing other opportunities for people? And and I don't think it is. And I think that I do think in in his instances of I, I don't know if that was true with what happened with Denver or not because the Broncos ended up you know saying their own side of the story. But I do believe that there are sham interviews, and I think that's one of the things that Brian Flores wants to clear up. There's no question. No, no question there are sham interviews. I would tell you this about a sham interview. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. You want to sham interview me for a coaching job, I'll do it. And, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you why. And I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've done interviews for different jobs, which I walked out and got a text or an email like, you did great. You have no shot at the job. Like, well, why did I do it? Because you never know who that person knows. That's the whole idea behind it. People have the wrong concept in mind. And I know for a fact that Brian Flores, one of the reasons he got his job in Miami was how well he conducted and purported himself during his interviews the year before. He was a linebacker coach with, with, with the Patriots. There were a couple of jobs open. He interviewed for them. Okay? He interviewed for them, including the Denver Broncos, right? And people walked away going like, man, he might not be ready, but that's a guy that's got to be a head coach. And then his defense was very good, and Bill Belichick picked up the phone, and he got the job with the Miami Dolphins. That's how it actually works. That's how business works. Okay, You have a lot of people who are commenting on things that are completely lost in business is about relationships. It just is. How many times have you been told, okay, 
It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. That's it, just a different way. It's, I've been telling you this for months. Every sport, you're in the people business. The reason you go to the combine is not to watch guys run in their shorts. It's because you go and have a beer with somebody from a different organization you never have a beer with. The same reason that basketball coaches go to the Final Four for the coaches' convention. They don't go to watch the games. They go to run, in, they go to run into a coach, get to know him. Same thing happens at AAU events. You sit next to a guy. You become friends with him. You're like, I got to hire. That, that, that happened to that, a, a, a very good friend of mine, Kim English, who's the head coach of George Mason. He was at an AAU event, okay, and for, a, I, I believe, for the University of Tulsa, taking notes, and Tad Boyle watched him, and Tad Boyle was like, I got to have you on my staff. Look what happens. You get in a room with people you've never been in a room with before. And you might not get that job, but everyone knows everyone knows somebody else. It's the seven, six degrees of, of, of separation. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I would say that Brian Flores' point, though, is I've, and I'm not saying him, but for any African American candidate or right. you know black coach to do it six times or seven times, I get of wanting to get that opportunity to interview, to be able to be on a stage where they haven't been before. But I do think that he feels now is a time where. Now it's just maybe guys are being interviewed for their fifth and sixth and seventh times just to check off the box. Because there are common names that we hear a lot. Oh, so-and-so is going in for an interview and really never are interested as being a, a finalist or the teams aren't interested. And I think that's his point. It's, it's not about maybe the quarterback's coach but, but, getting but an that, opportunity. But is, that, but is that based on race? Right? There's well, plenty of guys like Dan Quinn. I think he pulled out because he's like, I'm not getting it. Has nothing to do with the fact that you're black, you're white. Brian Flores is toxic right now. He was toxic before. Now he's now he's like uh, Chernobyl. Uh, he just is. But he was toxic because of whatever happened between the relationship and him and Chris Greer, him and everybody in that organization. That's how, how he treated Tua Tagovailoa. And it doesn't mean he's wrong about how he feels about Tua Tagovailoa, but it's the perception of it as much as the reality. Right? Like, I mean, have you ever seen a quarterback who is a first-round draft pick being taken out of the game in the fourth quarter? Have you ever seen that? No, that, the, the, that whole situation no! is tough. Why are we okay, – but, but, like, Nate Burleson's an NFL guy, and the whole interview was, well, we know this exists. and we don't, Like, wait a second. Let's actually talk about the, the facts and the details do, in fact, matter. What was your relationship like with Chris Greer? Do you feel like that Chris? Do you feel like Chris? That this was uh, about a personality conflict between you and Chris? You know, I I understand what he's saying. By the way, like the tanking stuff, and again, the tanking stuff is the smoking gun in this. It is because there's a uh, because of the, the again the spirit of what you're supposed to be putting out there. We've always had fun with tanking. It's happened. We believe in basketball, and in basketball, it's just as simple as play your younger guys and they can't win, right? We've seen about like I I was I have a friend who was in the NBA who they're playing against the Mavericks a couple years ago when the Mavericks tanked to get Luca, and he's like, bro, check out who they played in the fourth quarter, and I go and look and it's like I've never heard of half these guys. You're like you're right because they were trying to lose the game, so let's not act like tanking doesn't happen. I'm not saying and there's nobody saying that the number of black coaches is in any way indicative of what anybody wants. I, I still believe, like, it's like Byron Leftwich. Like, Byron Leftwich would have the Jacksonville job already, but he wanted his own GM, and he may get it. Or he may get the Tampa job. 
or Todd Bowles may get the Tampa job. But it's it's a gigantic leap to go from I got fired to I got fired because I'm black or I only interviewed or I only interviewed because I was black. Like it's a, it's a really, it's, it's damning allegations, which are salacious, which makes, look, and I get, I get the F you Gottlieb on Twitter. Like, okay. I'm just telling you the reality of it. Talk to a lawyer. This is a mess of a, it's a, it's a, uh, what's it called? When they have the class action lawsuit that to this point, no one else has joined in. But it's also a class action lawsuit, which is talking about racial discrimination. But there's all this other gullibaloo that, though damning, like tanking games, like bumping into Tom Brady and, 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 and trying to create a relationship there to get him to come. To, th- those are really interesting tampering charges. They don't have anything to do with racism or racial discrimination. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. I was thinking about this. There's a difference between being a child and being an adult. Okay? And uh, I... I used to think there was just one thing that was whether or not you take a nap, right? No adult ever would say like, hey, you want to take a nap? Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. I haven't napped since, right? Whereas kids, I don't want to take a nap. I don't want to, right? So the, the difference in child and adult. Here's the other one. Adults don't fight you on showers. Hmm? Right? I mean, you hop into a shower, you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Nice hot shower. Whereas kids like, I don't want to shower. I showered last night. I showered last week. What is the story with kids not wanting to shower? Now, once they get in there, usually they're like, just stand in the water, wash their bodies, whatever. But they do fight you on it. Anyway, just these are the random thoughts. Stug Outlip Show here on Fox Sports Radio. John Middlecoff is a uh, former NFL scout, also coach of the college ranks as well. He has the Three and Out podcast, which is crazy successful. And he's joining me on Fox Sports Radio. Um, I want to get to the games in a second. Let's talk with about the Flores deal. When you, because it, it, it's kind of wide ranging. It, like to me, it, you know, it's the old stay on message. It's kind of off message, right? There's, there's the Ross stuff. There's the Denver stuff. And then there's the racial stuff, which I don't think relates to the other accusations. What do you hear or what do you feel when you see and hear what Brian Flores is accusing the NFL and teams of? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I think the things that are really like the power headlines aren't really necessarily race related in terms of anything with Miami. Right. They wanted him to tank, not race. uh, And they wanted him to talk to Tom Brady. So his firing, he didn't accuse them of anything Rachel from I mean unless I miss something I, I guess the only thing that I've seen that was purely I guess the L, Elway being hung over in an well, interview well, he said, they, hold on he said he's apparently it's the because he wouldn't do what they wanted him to do early on in their relationship he believes they cast him as the angry black man that was the that that that's that's the Miami <clears throat> that's how he relates those accusations to why he was fired in Miami yeah I mean 
I, I've been talking about this on my pod for weeks, obviously just knowing people in the league. I mean, it was it's and it's well documented. You just can go to Google. People couldn't stand the guy there. And the general manager who, listen, I'm not some huge fan of, you look at his drafting, it's not great, is a black guy. And I think historically, and I saw you tweeting about Marty Schottenheimer and A.J. Smith, and I would say most of these situations happen with a power struggle between a GM and a coach. But I know from a coaching perspective that he was not well-liked in the, in the building. Now, that is not, you know, that's not racial in football, right? I mean, or just sports. Some coaches, just, people no, just don't business. like, some people do. Just Just business. Yeah. Just business. It's just part, part of business. Now, our, Listen, our business is no different. If, if your boss doesn't like you, and, 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 you know, like we're in a perception-based business, there's actually wins and losses, but you got to win so much, and even sometimes you win so much, like Marty Schottenheimer, you're gone. Like we're all in the people business, and if you can't get along with people, especially you can't manage up, you're going to lose your job. 100%. So I, I would imagine when he was interviewing around – uh, in this cycle, like the number one thing anyone does when they vet you, right, is what happened. What just happened in your building? And I would imagine it's not that positive. That has nothing to do with him not taking the hundred grand per loss. But I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of elements on this. The Belichick thing, I was fired in the NFL right after the draft. Usually coaches get fired after the season, scouts and GMs. GMs can be fired also after the season, but definitely scouts and executives, like assistant GMs, get fired after the draft. I knew I was getting fired at the Combine. In, and at the time, the Combine's a little later now. I think this year it's like early March. Then it was like mid-February. I knew then. And I knew the guy that was replacing me a couple weeks later. This is early March. I mean, I still had a month, two months to go. And when I saw the freakout yesterday by the media, like how would Belichick know? Especially the media. We know media people who are getting jobs and going play. What are we talking about? Let me give you the, the basketball parallel. You ready? Okay, most people believe Bobby Hurley's going to get fired. Okay, and some people believe Mike Anderson at St. St. John's is going to get fired, and so is Frank Haith at Tulsa. Mike Anderson played at Tulsa. You want to know what everybody believes is already going to happen? Is already done in college basketball. Anderson's going to Tulsa. Hurley's going to St. John's. And Byron Scott or or Mike Brown, because the athletic director at Arizona State, is a former agent, okay, and hired Herm. He wants to do the same thing with basketball. Like, we have people commenting on sports that either are pretending that they don't know or literally have zero idea of how it actually works. That's how it actually works. Well, and here's the thing with the Giants, and I I said this on my podcast a couple weeks ago. What I had heard is that Mara, because he's obsessed with the Patriots, Correct. Wanted to talk to, you know, Brian Flores. Like, he right. was and the guy leading the charge. Correct. Well, he just had hired a general manager who... Who's from the Buffalo. Well, and think about this. If, if you and me are running the Giants and we are going to hire Joe Shane, don't you think in our interview when we're going over roster building, drafts, philosophies, who would you want as your head coach? Well, he's like, you know, I've been working with Dayball for the last four years. I love this guy. This guy will be my parent. We just saw it with the, uh, with the Vegas Raiders. It was, it was a pairing. All this stuff now because the backstabbing happened. Now, just because you're paired doesn't mean you can end up backstabbing each other. But I would say pro sports has a long history, baseball, basketball, and football, because the GM and the head coach are just so closely, you know, they get blamed for everything, of those two guys not getting along. And the GM sometimes uh, has an easier line to the owner because during the games he's just sitting there. Right. And he often wins the power struggle. So it's – the owners get blamed. Ultimately, it's their decision. 
But wouldn't you say the majority, you know, you're a little older than me, but our 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s, it's the GM backstabbing the coach? Yes. I mean, I'd say that's the consistent theme in all. Balky Harbaugh. I mean, you see it all over the place in, in, in all the sports. So it's this, you know, the, the, the giant stuff where, yeah, it, it was a sham interview in the sense of the GM never wanted to hire you. Right, but what's what's the brand new GM supposed to say to John Marley? I won't take this interview. It's a weird spot. You could just say it was a waste of an interview. The other thing was, he had said in that in his statement that it was, you know, just to get the Rooney role. Well, they had already interviewed Leslie Frazier, who he had worked with in Buffalo, and he was scheduled for a second interview. And Patrick Graham, who is, you know, if he doesn't get a head coaching job, is going to stay as Dayball's defensive coordinator. So the Rooney rule was already uh, they'd already checked that list. It was right. because the owner wanted to talk to the guy. But it all gets back to, like, listen, football probably more than most sports. I, bet, I think basketball used to be like this, like when you were a kid, like the, they were more wired like football coaches. Guys rub people the wrong way. When you win, they can't touch you. And it goes back to losing that season. And listen, they won three of their last four games after they blew the thing up. Like, I, I'm not pro-tanking in football, and obviously it's kind of impossible. But once you get to that point, it's kind of – it would have behooved them to keep losing. Whether he takes the money, commits a felony, or what, it just keep losing the game. Well, he didn't, and then they ended up taking Tua, and they didn't get Joe Burrow, who just took the freaking Bengals to the Super Bowl. They didn't get Herbert, who uh, we watched Miami, who has probably played better than the Chargers the last couple of years. You put Herbert on that team, they're in the playoffs. So it was a disastrous, franchise-altering last month of the season. And then Stephen Ross just said, hey, man, uh, can, you want to come talk to Tom Brady, who you already know? Like, we can be like, well, the rules. Yeah, rules are meant to be broken at the highest level of business. Like, tampering happens. So, you know, that's, that's somewhat – I put that on him. Now, the racial stuff, the sham stuff, like, clearly that happens. Like, no one argues that. But a lot of the, the, the things that he was specifically talking about, it's like talking to a lot of people in the NFL, black and white, they're like, I, you know, seems kind of dumb to me. Uh, it's 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 crazy because I think he might have gotten a job in this cycle, and now I don't know how anybody hires him. No one. I, I didn't hear one person say the guy couldn't coach. Not one person say the guy couldn't coach. The number one knock on him was like everyone hated him. Yes, that, that okay. has nothing to do with black or white. People said the same thing about Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it's just <laughs> follow some people. Yeah, uh, Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Let's get to, what happened to Pat Mahomes in the second half. Uh, it, really quick, also on one thing on, on okay. just the Belichick guys in general. They've yeah. all, I, I guess, Romeo this, people liked him, but they've all rubbed people the wrong way. And all, of all, them, of all of them, all, all of them, all of them. And here's all of them. Tell me, tell me if you've heard the same town. thing. Tell me if you heard the same thing. Part of the issue is one, they see Bill, and that's what they they they're like. They want to be like Bill, but they also they only see Bill now. That Bill wasn't always Bill wasn't this way when he first started in New England because he didn't have. He didn't have the equity he has now. He didn't run the whole show. He wasn't as demanding. And, and that thing is wired for Bill to be Bill. And all of them have fallen on their face. And even Josh McDaniels, when he got the Raiders job this week, I don't know if you heard him, but he's like, what, what's changed since the Denver? He's like, I, I learned it's a people business. I learned it's about how you treat people, right? 100%. Where did he learn that? Well, the, 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 the only guy that wasn't running out of town immediately was Billy O because he was winning. But the moment, the moment it started going the other way, they couldn't get him out of there fast enough. And it's just like you don't have to be Jim Caldwell or Tony Dungy nice. But if you're just somewhat nice to some people, you know, occasionally, it helps. Anthony Lynn. 
Anthony Lynn got another extra year because he's the world's greatest guy. Okay? But, and he lasted like nine months as offense coordinator in Detroit this year. Anthony Lynn, perfect example. Fanta- amazing human being. Just not a great football coach. That's all. Uh, all right, let's, let, let, me get to, uh, let me get to the game. What happened to Pat Mahomes? I mean, I don't know. I think it's the worst half I've ever seen him play in a meaningful game. I mean, he looked like uh, even my mom asked me. I was on the phone with her yesterday. She's like, that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, yeah, I agree. I, it looked like he was in a daze because, you know, I, I, I think the coaching staff, and I'm an Andy Reid guy, but that's the, the final call to even have that option right at the end of the half. You've you, you got to put everyone in the end zone. So worst case scenario, you get to still kick the field goal. That's on the coaching staff. Though, Patrick – you know, I mean, he's been playing the league long enough to know. I don't know if you can throw that, especially when you see the couple defenders there. Throw but it away! Even, even if I'm going to give him a pass on that, the second half is, I would say, the worst half of football he's played in a game that has mattered in his career. And, it, I mean, it was really, really terrible. I mean, it, it really was. I mean, just the, the pick he threw, you know, I mean, he threw right to the line. And just throw the guy. He, he's too good of a player. And the weird thing, Doug, is he had been unreal. I mean, the last, like, five or six weeks of the season, how about the two playoff games? I mean, he was – they had scored 42 points back-to-back weeks. Like, the, as much as we hyped up the Josh Allen performance and it was unreal, Mahomes was every bit as equal in that game, right? He was sweet. So it just – I don't know. I mean, maybe you just chalk it up to it, ha- it happens. Uh, it was probably a pretty rattling moment. I, I mean, I know it was because I know some of those guys. I just think you just – you know, I think when you have, you know, Michael Jordan or Steph Curry or – you know, whoever on your side, you just you're never really worried, and then occasionally it doesn't come through, and you're just kind of shell shocked. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. Why couldn't the Niners run the football? Uh, well, one, they didn't have the ball very often. Uh, they weren't very good on third down, and you know, I, I just think the Rams. One thing watching the eight, Week 18 game back is the Rams destroyed him in the first half, and usually Kyle just stays with it because he'll just keep running the tosses and the pitch plays uh, kind of till the cows come home and he eventually break you down. But then in this game, you know, they had the lead. Uh, he got a little pass happy in a couple spots. And then his run plays at the, in the fourth quarter when they had the second and short and third and short, and then they ended up punting, you know, for Kyle, who is probably, you know, like the Andy Reid of run plays, like his run plays are just remarkable to watch. Kind of went vanilla there, just up the gut, up the gut, and they got stuffed. I mean, give Eric Weddle credit on this. I would have thrown at him a lot, but he can go right off his couch and make tackles inside the tackle box. I mean, and he, they, he was untouched, and he made a big tackle. And to me, to not give the ball to Debo in that spot, I know it's always easy to look back, but he had McVay against the ropes a little bit. McVay had blown all of his timeouts. Yep. Uh, if you just get a couple first downs, how do you not you know, go in the for it on fourth down? How does he not go for it on fourth down? Yeah, it's, I mean it's a devastating move. And he, even I know he said he doesn't regret it, but I you watching Fred Warner after the game, you know Fred was like we we couldn't get a stop. And I think sometimes when you're the head coach slash offensive coordinator, because the score you know right it's seventeen to fourteen, so you're like our defense is playing great. But really, like, maybe it's easier to kind of take it all in from your couch or sitting in the stands. Their defense was not playing that well. The Rams had a couple big drops. Yep. Guys were getting open with ease. So the score reflected big-time defensive performance in the NFC Championship game, two touchdowns, fourth quarter. My eyes were like, uh, this defense is, you know, holding on for dear life. And the Rams could just get anything they wanted. So now they still held them to a field goal, right? So it's 20-20. to 20. But the Niners' offense, ultimately, I mean, at the end of the day, when they've really had to rely on Jimmy, 
it's just very hit or miss. And Jimmy came through week 18. In this game, he just didn't. Jimmy wants to be on a winning team, but he has a no-trade clause. What winning team wants to trade for him? Well, I just think there are going to be some desperate teams, right? I mean, we know the Steelers are not about losing. So, like, you know, the Stephen Ross or the uh, Flying J, Hunter Grand's the tank a game. Like, uh, the Rooney's and Tomlin ain't into that life. So I, I could see him make some sense there. The football team is definitely going to try to just get a credible quarterback. I do think he has some value on the market now, like, I mean, a fourth-round pick or something. But I, I, I do think he will be traded to someone – you know, that we could talk ourselves into. That, I mean, if he goes to Steelers, you could say he could compete for the playoffs. But the problem with Jimmy, Doug, is he gets hurt. Like, he missed two and a half games this year, and this year was a healthy year for him. And even the games he was playing at the end of the season, he had a strained shoulder, he had a messed up thumb. Jimmy is not a very durable player on top of – so he's got these flaws as a player. He turn, He throws a lot of picks, and then he just – it's one thing if he just threw a lot of picks, but he's you know you can kind of go to war with him every week. Like you can go to war with Jimmy, but he also just the next week might not be able to walk. <laughs> so I we, I think that to me the concern for him, and I've been in these meetings, is like you're going over our potential top five trade options if I'm the football team or the Steelers. Well, if I'm in the meeting room with Colbert and Tomlin and the scouts, like they're putting up on the big board, like what's his injury history, and it's it's long. It's long, and on top of like, well, what are his uh, what's his biggest flaw? Well, his plays were obviously he just throws a lot of interceptions. He throws a ton of balls that should be picked. That somehow for a guy that doesn't throw like a hundred miles an hour, the picks get dropped. It's pretty bizarre. Okay, speaking of that, um, are, are we good? We're, we're crowning Matt Stafford when he had an arm punt on that last drive. I mean, I mean, Tart. That's that's why he plays defense. But I mean, an absolute arm punt. So are we now crowning him? Now he's a big game player, even though he had a ball that should be intercepted nine times in 10. Yeah. I mean, I, the sad thing is, I guess sad's the wrong word. He's in the Super Bowl. He was awesome. I I thought obviously the first two games, sweet. The majority of that game, he was really good, right? Oh, first half. I mean, how many drops did they have in the end zone? That big drop in the first half. Yeah. Multiple drops and, Every pass he had was on the money, hitting guys in stride, even the touchdown drops, right? I mean, they're just perfect passes. That play in that situation is a tough one, right? I mean, that's to me, that will get him, like, who knows? I mean, who knows? The Bengals, are they good enough to catch that ball? You never know with the DB. Like you said, there's a reason they play defense. I wonder if Tartan, he, you know, he was devastated after the game. He hit some green grass. I guess it's turf, right? I mean, who, who knows? Like, he catches that just Willie May style. He might then gain another 15, 20 yards, and we're looking at Matt Stafford like the, you know, the goat in a negative way. So I'm with you, but isn't that the way sports kind of work? You know, you're a drop pass here or a cop pass there from being on one side of the ledger, especially in the way the playoffs in football because it's just one game. It's not like seven-game series you can bounce back, but in football he did get pretty lucky. But there, there's no guarantee that the Niners, the Niners' offense just was not very good in that game. John, great stuff. What an awesome uh, time to talk football. We'll do it uh, hopefully next week in person at the Super Bowl. Download the 3 and Out podcast. It's awesome. John Middlecoff, thanks so much. Talk soon. See you. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? Fox Sports Radio. Check out the latest lines in the world of sports at 
BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. You must be 21. Must be present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Play gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to tell you what, play for you in 15 minutes, what Lane Kiffin had to say about recruiting today as uh, part of National Signing Day. Uh, Before we get that, the story of the day without any questions is Brian Flores' lawsuit. Okay. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, this is a very, very simple and I think, I think, thoughtful exercise. Right. And this is my honest belief. Right? And so I, I don't want you to take a headline from something you read or a portion of a tweet or a portion of a comment and think otherwise. I do not believe that race plays a factor in 2022, in the decisions on who to hire and who to fire in the National Republic. I don't. I think there is a need for more diverse faces running franchises, in the background of running franchises, and as head coach. And I, I think there's a lot of things going on in the NFL which you haven't been made aware of, which will continue to kind of forward that organically and a little bit inorganically, which will ultimately, I don't know if it'll completely even the playing field. I will point out that there's a a common use stat, which I think is remarkably unfair, which is 70% of the NFL is black. So does the coaching have to mirror that? We do realize that coaching as a profession Many of these men, and I've, I've seen other well, the biggest problem is nepotism. I don't know. Kyle Shanahan grew up in the game and seems to have done quite well for himself. I don't know if Bill Belichick's son, who makes those weird faces, will be a, uh, a good head coach. But the defense for a good portion of the year was very, very good. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, like, like I, I'm not really understanding if if we see in the NBA and the NFL guys whose dads were players and they become great players and they have a high football IQ, the Mannings are an example of it. There are others as well, Steph and Del Curry, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't that be the same with coaching? Right? If that's what you study and that's what you want to be from the day in which you're, you know, Brandon Staley, for example, was a guy who his parents, his parents were teachers. And he likes to think of himself as a teacher. But he was a college quarterback who went into the profession of being a coach. But, but here's, here's the simplest exercise I can do for you, okay? Simplest exercise I can do is just go through the jobs and you tell me, like, you're going to, if, if, if you want to say the NFL is racist, oh, that's a very, that's a huge, huge accusation. Huge. But you're going to have to give me a little more substance than that. that. That's just me. That's how I roll. It's like, you're going to have to give me a little more substance than that. And there are coaches that I don't love. I don't love the job they do. Maybe I didn't even love the hire at the time. But if you can, you have to have some sort of maybe proof of where racism would kind of exist I, I don't know that's that's what I'm kind of struggling with okay so let's start out west 
I, I can go through all 32 teams. Of course, there are some which their jobs are, are yet to be claimed. Right? Kansas City Chiefs, who's the head coach? Andy Reid. Why did he get the job? Well, he got after an incredible run in Philadelphia. I, I do think that the personal problems with his sons were an issue. I think it just got a little bit stale. Um, after Don McNabb kind of aged out, he was searching for another quarterback. It didn't work, and he ends up getting let go. But, I mean, there, do we all agree that in terms of candidates in Kansas City, like nobody's arguing with, especially I think it was Herm Edwards, the previous coach, and Herm, who's a magnificent fellow. Like I know Herm's a friend, hey, but Herm's teams just didn't come together the way that Andy's teams did. Todd Haley was there. Everybody hated Todd Haley. And everybody loves Andy Reid. Okay. So does anybody have any problem, not just in terms of the success, and no one's going to argue the success now, but there, it was kind of unimpeachable when they hired Andy Reid. Like, oh, that'll work. Right? Now, the Raiders are interesting. Raiders were the first team in the NFL to hire a blackhead coach. Um, does that mean, well, if you hire, like that's like the I have black friends thing? Like, No. But the Raiders are a unique deal in that they needed a GM, they needed a coach, and they basically had all-in-one in John Gruden, and they, they chose Josh McDaniels, who some people thought you couldn't get, couldn't get out of New England because he's the next guy. The Chargers. Chargers hired Brandon Staley. That's after having Anthony Lynn as your head coach. And just because you have a black head coach doesn't mean your next head coach can't be black. Uh, but Brandon Staley was coming off a year in which he had the number one defense in football. They had an offensive coach in Anthony Lynn, who was the offensive coordinator of the Bills. Uh, and I, they they probably kept Anthony Lynn a year longer than they need to because he's an incredible human being. He's a very good man. They weren't a crazy well-coached team. Now, Brandon Staley hasn't avoided criticism because he's the only coach with an elite-level quarterback who didn't get hurt, who didn't make the playoffs. But how'd he get the job? Well, he got the job because he, um, among other things, he's one of these bright young minds who had who had the number one defense in football. Uh, the Denver Broncos, who are cur- who just hired an offensive mind, right? And a, a son of a former coach. But he, they went after two defensive coaches. The last two coaches in Denver were defensive coaches. They went offense. And, oh, yeah, by the way, everybody knows they really want Aaron Rodgers. And so they hired Aaron Rodgers, uh, offensive coordinator, to be their coach. Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks hired the most successful college coach of the time, Pete Carroll, who had been an NFL head coach. San Francisco 49ers hired Kyle Shanahan, who was a very sought-after Better side after offensive coordinator had had success in Atlanta, took them to the Super Bowl after having success in Washington with the now, uh, what are they, the Commanders? The Commanders. Right. The LA Rams. Sean McVay was hired. He was the youngest head coach in the National Football League. He was the boy wonder, the boy genius, right? Anybody have a problem with Sean McVay who's now been to a sec- second Super Bowl? And, and we don't have to say that Sean McVay is the right guy because of the success. Remember, it's at the time when he got the job. Replacing Jeff Fisher, who was a really well-liked guy and a guy who had been to a Super Bowl, but a guy who was synonymous with average teams and had a very bland offense for a guy who seemed to have all the answers and has proven to be as such.
the Arizona Cardinals. You can point out that Cliff Kingsbury wasn't a success in college, was relieved of his dues, was fired, and then hired his offensive coordinator for USC before ever coaching it down there and getting the Arizona job. But what? They had Steve Wilkes for a year. It was a disaster. In order to, for Steve Kime to try and keep his job, he needed a, a coach and they needed a quarterback because Josh Rosen wasn't going to work. And they've gotten better every year. Have they topped out? Maybe. Is it a great long-term play? I don't know. But you can't argue with the fact that in year three, they're in the playoffs, right? It was like five wins to eight wins to 10 wins. Like, that's improvement. Pittsburgh, come on. Baltimore, that was a curious hire at the time. You hired a special teams coordinator, right? And John Harbaugh. Cincinnati, there were lots of people. People forget that Zach Taylor was very much on the hot seat when the year began. Not in the hot seat now. Cleveland had Hugh Jackson. He lasted two and a half years. They won one game in those two years. By the way, Cleveland has, like, I could go through these lists, and I just have, I have trouble going like, oh, he got the job because they're racist. Again, no one's arguing that the numbers uh, um, aren't what they need to be. But it has to marry with the GM's vision, the owner's vision, and what the team needs. That's the mistake the Giants made. If the Giants just said, like, heck, look, Brian Flores is qualified. But for what we need, we need somebody who's great with the quarterback. That's stable. We need an offensive guy. That's stable. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we need somebody who we believe can work with our new general manager. That's stable. So I, I just, I struggle with this one. And maybe it's that I've talked to these GMs and they have said to me, like, yeah, there have been times in the past where there's other, they've heard stories of sham interviews. But all of these GMs that I know of believe you got to nail the head coaching pick. You got to get somebody who's going to work. Because if you don't, not only are they going to get fired, but you're going to get fired. Make sense? All right. Here's uh, today's National Signing Day. Here's what Lane Kiffin had to say about National Signing Day in this era. We don't have the same funding resources as some of these schools do for these NIL deals. And so it's basically dealing with different salary caps. We now have a sport that has completely different salary caps. And some of these schools are, you know, whatever, five, ten times more than everybody else of what they can pay the players. So I know nobody uses those phrases, but that is what it is. In free agency in the NFL, players usually go to the most money. Every once in a while, they they don't because they already have a bunch of money. Well, these kids are 17, 18 years old. They're going to go to where they're paid the most. I'm not complaining. It just is what it is. It's a whenever there's things created, there's a lot of times problems people didn't think about, you know. And so you just legalize paying players what people used to cheat. Bingo. Bingo. Right. Bingo. And, and and so Pandora's box is opened. I doubt it can be closed. The uh, unintended consequences of it have yet to fully be discovered, right? Because there, there will be a push to tax, not just taxing the NIL stuff, but eventually tax the scholarships and make them employees. And while that sounds like a great thing, <laughs> there's a total downside to it. Employees can be terminated. Employees can be held to even higher standards. Hey, 
employees' benefits are all taxed, as well as donations can be taxed, which they're currently not. Um, and, oh yeah, by the way, if you're an employee, what are you fighting for? More money, less hours of work, right? You can only do 20 hours now. So I, I'm, I'm with Lane Kiffin. We have legalized cheating. It's no longer cheating, even though everybody calls it cheating because it's not. Right? The, the NCAA has completely washed their hands of it. Hey, you guys want to pay players? Go for it. We're not going to legislate. It's become the wild, wild west. And I do believe you're going to see a ton of the downside to it. And I don't think that's, again, this is, we talk about spirit of it, which is what Brian Flores, I think, is really attacking. I think most of us believe that the Rooney rule in on paper and in theory is great. He's like, look, they're violating the spirit of this. I understand completely. I, I don't necessarily, I don't believe there's a racial bias towards it. I think it's more business and that some people come with their own GM and it's that pre-existing relationship. And maybe you can say that part of that is because of how many years you didn't have enough faces of color in front offices, there's a, a racial aspect to it. That's a longer and deeper discussion. Um, but I, I think, um, I think that's, uh, that to me is part and parcel to what Lane Kiffin is saying, where the spirit of it may have been good. Hey, to make sure that kids get compensated for their success. But we've taken it to a level to which, you know, you got dudes showing up in crazy, crazy Mercedes and Porsches before they ever played a, a snap or a game. And the second something doesn't go their way because we've also eliminated any sort of punishment. If you transfer with the transfer portal, we, we've we've gone from one end of the spectrum to the complete other and there's so many unintended consequences that we're just learning about today. 